0: Alright guys, so uh, by now you should know uh, that we are in Jonah, and so head on to Jonah uh, chapter 2. That is where we're going to be camping out uh, this morning. And the series of Jonah, uh, we're so excited about what we're preaching through, and uh, we're doing somewhat of a rescue mission, because uh, what we've been saying is, right, if I say to you Jonah and the... Right, that's what uh, we've made it all about. The kids' stories, the, uh, the, the books, it's just some uh, great uh, story to tell our children. And uh, it's kind of been like animated and the veggie tales have kind of uh, taken it down uh, to what we're missing. And as we have been wading into it, we can see there's some pretty hard things that the author of Jonah is communicating to us so much more than being swallowed by a big fish and then being spat out onto uh, the beach again. It's a crazy story. We love that part, but there is so much more to it. And if we remember what we've covered so far, Jonah is a prophet. Uh, God has told him to go to the great city of Nineveh where his enemies, the Assyrians, live this cruel and violent and oppressive People and he needs to go and call them to repent in God. Jonah has other plans, he wants none of it, and so instead of going to Nineveh. He heads down to Joppa. Remember, there's something very interesting about the word down. There's uh, some descent happening in Jonah. He heads down to Joppa. He takes a ship down to Tarshish, and you can just see how far uh, he is on trying to get away from the assignment that God has for him. He's just not interested in it. Yet God, in his grace and in his severe mercy, he pursues Jonah. A violent storm comes up. And uh, as we saw the irony of these polytheistic uh, sailors and captains, uh, they praying. Jonah is not. He's asleep at the wheel. And eventually Jonah goes, guys, just kill me. Throw me overboard. I'd rather die. Then complete God's mission that He has for me. And the story, the part of the story that everyone knows is God provides a huge fish and He is swallowed up and He is inside the belly of the fish for three days and three nights. And so that's where we ended off. Jonah chapter 1, verse 17. Now the Lord provided a huge fish to swallow Jonah and He was in the belly for three days and three nights. Jonah is in serious trouble. So remember, we read this story knowing how we've kind of made it about uh, the kids' stories and, and, and Sunday school and, and uh, the VeggieTales version of it. We, we, we know what's coming. But the readers reading this for the first time, this is tragedy. Jonah is in trouble. The story is bizarre. But it gets even weirder, because chapter 2, verse 1, goes, From inside the fish Jonah prays to the Lord his God. And we are going to cover Jonah's prayer inside the stomach of this huge fish. Now, something very interesting, and again, there's humor and irony in this, and uh, we're only reading it in the English. What I need to point out is in the original language, in the Hebrew, this is some of the most complex Hebrew poetry that exists in the whole Bible. For some reason, and I'm not really a creative And I know creatives have weird things that they have in place to kind of get them going and get the creative juices flowing. For some reason, uh, the creative mind of Jonah is really kind of stimulated by digestive acids squid bits and a lack of oxygen. Because now he is in the confines of the belly of this fish. Uh, He is slowly being digested. Somehow the Lord is sustaining him in this environment and he crafts some of the most complex, beautiful poetry that exists. It is really bizarre, but I I love what is happening here. But now I just want to kind of go a little bit sideways for a moment because uh, we sometimes make a mistake when we read the Bible and the, the mistake that we can make is we come to the text with, and, and we tell the text what it must say to us. Right? You hear what I'm saying? We we go to the text with some preconceived ideas. Uh, kind of, we don't want it to say what it says. We impose our own things, our own thoughts onto it, and it's a little bit dangerous. What we need to be doing is always kind of coming to the text and going. Uh, God, what are you saying? What is the story you are telling in this that I need to hear, that I need to submit to, that I need to be obedient to? And the same is happening here with Jonah. And, and people go, what is going on about the fish? And, and this book does cause um, a whole lot of confusion. Because uh, the argument is, is it a huge fish or is it a whale? Because someone can survive in a whale, but no one can survive uh, inside a fish. And, uh, you you know, then there's some stories. Well, somebody did survive a few days inside a fish and, you you know, and, and people struggle with just the bizarreness of God provides a huge fish. Jonah lives inside the belly for three days and three nights while he is sprouting poetry. It just kind of doesn't make sense unless you ask yourself the question, what story is the author trying to tell? What, what is the bigger context? Where, where does the story kind of find itself and, and, and place itself? Because maybe if you knew the, the context and, and maybe the You know, and this is one of our jobs is to go, well, what was the intention? Why was this written? What did the original hearers kind of gain and understand about this that what maybe we're missing that we need to kind of dig into to then apply to ourselves and get the the max out of it? And so we did this at the beginning, but we need to just kind of dig a little bit deeper into where this story finds itself in the bigger picture. Of the book of Jonah. Remember, Jonah is a a prophet, and prophets are uh, God's messengers. Uh, God will raise up a prophet for God's people for a season, and God would give them a message. They would preach that message to God's people. That was their assignment. We know elsewhere in 2 Kings, Jonah pops up again. Jesus mentions Jonah. Jonah was God's prophet at that time. But I want you to have a look at the screen, just to kind of understand the bigger role of prophets within in the context. Ah, oh, the arrows don't really come up, but the prophets dealt with a very unique period of time, and they spoke God's message within uh, this broader period that dealt with Israel's sin. The conquest by Babylon and God's restoration of them as a people. So if you're reading any one of the kind of the big prophets like Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, some of the the really long books of the Old Testament or even some of the short books where Jonah's one page, Micah, Obadiah, some of the obscure names that you've kind of seen in your context page but you're like, ooh, I can't even pronounce that so I'm not gonna read uh, what that's about. It's all dealing with this time period that God was dealing with his people And they would uh, be worshiping God. They would kind of get caught up in what the nations around them would be doing. They would then worship those false gods that would set up those idols. And God would need to get their attention again. And the way that God would get their attention is through other nations, ultimately exile into Babylon where they were there for 70 years, but then God restores them fully as a nation, which we then look forward to, which is the ultimate restoration out of sin through Jesus. That's the big picture. That's the role of all the prophets in the Old Testament. Jonah is no exception. Jonah is in this part of God's salvation history with his people. And so again, I just, because so many people ask about the fish, did a little bit of research of how many times some of this language appears in the prophets. And I'm just going to bring out two, because it's just so interesting. Because again, I don't think the fish was out of place for some of the hearers uh, when this was read out. Hosea 8.8, one of the first prophets, Israel is swallowed up. Now she is among the nations like something no one wants. Jeremiah 51, 34, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, has devoured us. He has thrown us into confusion. He has made us an empty jar like a serpent. He has swallowed us up and filled his stomach with our delicacies and then spewed us out. In the Psalms, uh, other places in Jeremiah, other prophets, this language of being swallowed and spat out and consumed uh, comes up because all of it is the story of how God pursues his people. And so it's not so out of place in the bigger context, in the story of what God is doing. And that's important because It shows something very deliberate about the nature and the character of God, which is so important to us as his people, which we will pull out from Jonah's prayer this morning because the context speaks to the very nature and character of God, how he pursues us, his people. So Jonah prays. He said, in my distress, I called to the Lord and he answered me. From deep in the realm of the dead, I called for help and you listened to my cry. You hurled me into the depths, into the very heart of the seas and the currents swirled about me. All your waves and breakers swept over me. I said, I have been banished from your sight. Yet I will look again toward your holy temple. The engulfing waves threatened me The deep surrounded me. Seaweed was wrapped around my head. And to the roots of the mountains, I sank down. The earth beneath barred me in forever. But you, Lord my God, brought my life up from the pit. When my life was ebbing away, I remembered you, Lord. My prayer rose to you, to your holy temple, And those who cling to worthless idols, turn away from them. God's love for them, but I, with shouts of grateful praise, will sacrifice to you what I vowed I will make good. I will say, Salvation comes from the Lord. And the Lord commanded the fish, and it vomited Jonah onto dry land. Vomit is in the Bible. Right, as we see this crazy story, this bizarre situation, Jonah with seaweed wrapped around his head in the belly of the fish is having his awakening moment to the grace of God. And this I want to really just start off with. If you have, uh, if you're a guest here this morning, if this is your first time back in church for a long time, I, I, I don't know. Uh, what every single one of you are going through. But Jonah is in a very bad space. But he calls out to the Lord his God. And right away, This is one of the most amazing things about the nature and the character of the God that we serve. You could have turned your back on Him. You could have gone as far away as you possibly could have gone geographically and spiritually from the Lord to find yourself in such a bad space that you're in the belly of a fish, uh, literally or figuratively, but you can still call out there to the Lord your God. Isn't that just the most beautiful thing right there? that we've looked at this folly of this man, how he's run from the Lord, yet at that point, he can still turn and cry out. And he uses a very personal word, the Lord, my God. Not once did the personal relationship with God and his prophet end. Jonah runs, Jonah's disobedience, but God never stops loving and pursuing. It's a very, very important truth. Cries out, cries out. And this is what can happen. Because life is not always plain sailing. We know this, right? Scripture warns us, Scripture preempts that we're going to go through many seasons in our lives. Seasons of joy, seasons of prosperity, but we're also going to go through seasons of pain and hardship. We know that we're going to experience every season under the sun. And so what we see happening in Jonah's life is uh, he's kind of making himself the captain of his own destiny. He boards the ship, he flees from the Lord, and I can kind of just imagine Jonah uh, on the deck, um, I enjoy being out on the sea, spent a lot of my life on the coast and uh, just something about being out on the water and the spray, the salt, the smell, kind of the wind in your hair. It's a very liberating feeling. can just imagine Jonah just enjoying the sunset on the sea and very soon after that, he is in the belly of the beast. So quickly can life be turned upside down. That one moment we're enjoying the sunset on the deck of the boat to then being swallowed up under the water inside the stomach of the fish. And if we're looking at Jonah's life as a mirror, we can often find ourselves going through moments where life is great and all of a sudden being confronted with disaster. Now, it's hard to kind of define that disaster because life is so fragile. There's so much brevity to, to life and, and all of us have so many different contexts and situations, but you all know what I'm talking about. That life just changes suddenly out of our control and we're asking ourselves the question, God, what is going on? And maybe this is something that is the consequence of your own doing. Jonah's consequences or the situation Jonah finds himself in, he made some choices It's resulted in him being in the situation. He is maybe the upside downness of your life. Maybe the pain that you're experiencing or the hardship has been something of your own doing, your own sin. Maybe it's someone else's. Maybe you have no reason to explain what is going on. But Jonah's life is in a real difficult spot. But he responds by praying through it. And looking through the lens of Jonah's prayer is very important for us to look through our own situations through the same kind of lens. And so if you're taking notes... If you want to reflect on this, I want you to write this down because one of the first things that we can really take out of Jonah's situation is the difficulty becomes the thing that eventually causes him to call out to God. Right, as we're looking at the nature and the character of God, how he's pursuing his people, how he's dealing with them, and we see the pain and the hardship that Jonah finds himself in, this very difficult situation, is the very thing that calls him or causes him to call out to God. We've gotta see that. We've gotta note that. Verse two. Of this prayer, he cries out to God and he responds with, you listened, you listened. Often our default is that when we're in these moments, we think that God is not listening. So often when life is going well and then things get hard, we suddenly retrenched, Uh, A loved one passes away, Uh, your health takes a very bad turn, Uh, whatever happens, we can think, well, God's forgotten about me. God, you don't listen to my cry because my pain is not easing up. But this moment of Jonah, his realization, this heightens his awareness of God's presence. He's kind of seeing the bigger picture. He's starting to see the whole reason God has pursued him and provided this fish for him. Uh, He's being awakened to that. And he goes, God, you are listening. Verse three, it kind of gets a little bit more intense and we start to see something very unique about this nature and the character of God that the story the author is telling. So verse three we start to see what we call the mysterious sovereignty of God over the evil in our lives. The mysterious sovereignty of God over the evil in our lives. Right, verse three, let's refresh. You hurled me into the depths, into the very heart of the seas, and the currents swirled around me, all your waves and breakers, They swept over me. Here's a question. Who threw Jonah into the sea? The sailors. But who does Jonah say? God, right? The sailors threw him in and he responds and he's praying, God, you threw me into the sea. What's so interesting is Jonah is finally awakened to see God's involvement in the whole mess. Who is ultimately responsible for Jonah being in the mess that he's in? It's Jonah. It's Jonah. But yet he sees God's hand in it all. We see this in other parts of the Bible as as this nature of God is told. Uh, Joseph in Genesis 50 verse 20 if you, just a recap briefly in the story of Joseph, he was the favoured son, all the brothers didn't dig it, uh, so they sell him into slavery and fake his death to break his father's heart. He lands up being in Egypt where he becomes second in charge of the entire nation under Pharaoh and he responds to all of that. In verse 20 of chapter 50, it says, you intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish now what is being done, the saving of many lives. Is God morally responsible for everything that happened to Joseph? The answer is no. His brothers are morally responsible for selling him into slavery, for faking his death. They were the ones that did that to him But God's involvement in his sovereignty, he used all of that to save many, many lives. We call this the severe mercy of God. I introduced us to this phrase um, last week. You see, the mistake that we make as believers, we think that God's number one priority is to give me a happy life. We think that the number one priority of God is that everything in my life must be perfect and great. I'm supposed to have what I need, a nice house, nice car, perfect kids, perfect family. I never get sick. Everything is great. But God's highest priority is not to give us a smooth sailing journey. His highest priority is to mold us and shape us into His image And this is the severe mercy of God. This is understanding the heart of God, the Father in our lives. I love this statement. God's severe mercy is this, that he may bring us to the point where we are at the end of ourselves and we may hate him for it. But the strange paradox is that it may be the best thing that ever happened to us. Let's just go through that again. God's severe mercy is that he may bring us to the point where we are at the end of ourselves and we may hate him for it. But the strange paradox is that it may be the best thing that ever happened to us. See, we discover the truth of how selfish we are And then we discover how dependent we are on him. This is the story that the author is pointing out. Jonah, in his own wisdom, makes very poor decisions. But the love of God, the mercy, the severe mercy of God, is he doesn't let him go. He pursues him. And he brings him to such a point that he is in the stomach of a fish, But that is where he realizes who God is. He repents and he prays some wonderful prayers. This is maybe hard to get, but uh, to the parents in the room, I think we get this a little bit more, right? Parenting is hard. Maybe babysitters, uh, older sisters, cousins, you maybe get this, right? And um, I am notorious for telling stories about my my crazy family sometimes, but uh, this is where w- we really struggle sometimes. And, and identify with me, uh, parents. Uh, how difficult can meal times get? Right, really difficult. Okay, you know what? Uh, <laughs> kids just want to eat the weirdest things, and uh, there's this tension that exists every single day. Am I going to fight? over the fact that my daughter at this point in her life for breakfast wants to eat two pieces of white bread with a dry wheat mix in it. That is the only thing she wants to eat for breakfast. How she can stomach it, I have no idea. The rest of the day, she only wants to eat blue jelly beans and ribs. This is proving to be very difficult for us as a family. She woke up at two o'clock two nights ago. And for an hour, she cried out for blue jelly beans. Now, as a father, I am constantly torn between giving her what she wants and giving her what she needs because it breaks my heart seeing what I can do to make her immediately happy. But because I am trying to be a good, godly father, I am torn between the longevity of her health and her immediate happiness versus producing a healthy well-rounded, mature, young lady who loves Jesus. And that tension is hard. And often she says to me, Daddy, I hate you. Where a blue jelly bean would mean, Daddy, I love you. But I hold off. And she looks at the vegetables on her plates. Why do I have to eat this? And I say, because I love you, my girl. She goes, no, you don't. And I say, Edith, I promise you, I promise you I love you. And we can see how God operates with us. That if he loves us, like he says he loves us, our life is not always going to be great our life is not always going to be easy. That sometimes God is going to bring us to a place where we feel like we're at the end of ourselves and we're gonna hate him for it. But he knows in his sovereignty, in his severe mercy, what we need because he's concerned about our whole lives, not our immediate temporary happiness. And this is this paradox, this is this mystery of how we can say, God loves me in this pain. And we can see some of the behaviour of Jonah. He goes from running from God to running to God. We see that in verse 4. Verse 6, it it points out that, and, and we've seen this, I don't know if you've met someone who's had a severe, very real encounter with death. They faced death in the face and then they came out of it. There's kind of this heightened awareness, kind of hug you a little bit tighter, kind of enjoy cake a little bit more. There's a reprioritizing in Jonah's life because of his brush with death. We see how he starts to pray and call out and realize what is of first importance in his life. And this is the big picture of what God does with his people, He doesn't let them run away from him. He doesn't let them just get caught up into the idols and the false gods of the nations. He comes and he gets his people. It's painful because he uses other nations and it's so painful that the ultimate story is they go into captivity, into Babylon. They go out of the promised land, the consequences, but he restores them. And it's a foreshadowing of what Jesus is gonna do for us to ultimately restore us permanently into relationship with God. Verse nine, Jonah emerges with gratefulness. He remembers Yahweh. Yahweh. And all the gifts that God gives, the final prayer is this one, where He really gets it. He says, "Salvation belongs to the Lord." The very thing that He was running from was the salvation of the Ninevites, or the Syrians in Nineveh. He doesn't want any part of it, and eventually He goes, "No, salvation actually does belong to you, God. I can't determine it." But in his gratefulness, in his getting it, where is he still? Where is he? He's still in the belly of the fish. And this is very important for us. The situation hasn't changed, but Jonah's heart has. The situation hasn't changed, Jonah's heart has. This is the severe mercy and grace of God that our circumstances can be so unreliable. They don't determine whether God is good or not. He is good. He is our loving Father. And the situation in our life doesn't have to change for us to worship and declare the goodness of God in our lives. And the most amazing thing about the situation is we have the cross to look back on. We have the finished, completed work of Jesus as a historical event that happened. Now, what's important about this is when we think about our situations or the places that we find ourselves in, we are often drawn into the situations to go, does God love me, does God not? And this is uh, for us as believers this morning, as we uh, look at the, the life of Jonah and see how God is good, how God loves Jonah, and the situation doesn't change when he gets it. For us, we look to the cross to determine that this morning. And what I want to really uh, get us to get this morning is this powerful, powerful truth. Jesus went to the cross in our place for our sin. Matthew 12, Jesus highlights uh, the son of Jonah as what he does. Jonah is in the grave, and we sang that beautiful song this morning, and that was where he fought the battle. That battle was our sin, our shame, and our enemy, death which was why we then sing death, where is your sting? And we raise our hands in worship, celebrating that he didn't stay in the grave, but rose victorious over our enemies and ascends to uh, the right hand of the Father where we wait his glorious return. This literally happened. It's a physical and historical reality that we hold to as Christians. So the significance of that is that moment determines who I am as a believer. My starting point is He loves me. And I want you to hear that this morning. Whatever happens in my life, it will never change the historical reality of my risen Savior, Jesus. Nothing can change that And so, I can never, for a single moment in my life, no matter what happens, I can never say, He does not love me. He's established that fact in my life. My starting point is the empty tomb and a risen Savior. The victory over sin, shame, and death forever has a mark on my life that determines my position. God in His severe mercy pursued me as His enemy. Jesus rescues me from my sin. He rescues me from my shame. He takes me from being an enemy to an adopted son. That is my life. And so when things go barely up, when I go from being on the deck of the ship to the wind blowing in my hair and enjoying things, to all of a sudden having a massive tragedy and my life being upside down and I feel like I've been swallowed by a fish and that I'm literally, my life is ebbing away. He is good and he loves me. It cannot be changed. My situation does not determine the love of God and the goodness of God in my life. Jonah finally gets it, we get it even more because of Jesus who fulfilled the mission fully. I love how we see this in other places. Uh, Paul and Silas, they've been arrested, they're in prison, they're chained to the wall, they do not know if they're going to live out uh, the rest of their their days. They don't know if they're going to see dawn and they're worshipping. They're crafting songs and poems and they're worshiping God, not knowing if they're going to make it to the next morning. We see that in Acts 16. They're worshiping. Verse 25 about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. Chained in a prison cell that don't know if they're going to make morning. How are they able to worship? Because Jesus is risen. He is our savior and nothing, nothing can change it. So important for us. We're gonna end now this morning and uh, we're gonna go to communion. And I want our hearts to receive this well because I don't know Uh, What space you're in this morning. I I don't know how you are engaging with our Savior Jesus. But we have to, have to see this morning that He pursues. And maybe, just maybe, the situation you're finding yourself in is because He loves you. And it might be not what you want. And now you might be cross and even hating God. Might be not what you want but it might be just what you need. And you're experiencing the severe mercy of God this morning. You can come to the communion table and just surrender yourself to what the Lord is doing. Said so maybe it's been a long time since you've really earnestly prayed and sought the Lord and you can come back this morning and know that you can cry out to him and he will hear you and you can enjoy as what we remember as believers is the body of Jesus broken. As you take a piece of bread, his body broken for us, the, the cup symbolizing his blood poured out for the forgiveness of our sins. The cross screams, I love you. It means God is good, that He is for us. And the the goal for us is to get the bigger perspective that my situation doesn't determine m- m- who God is for me. The cross does. And so in my pain, I can raise my hands and say, God, I worship you because you are good. You're still God. You saying I'll raise a hallelujah in the middle of the storm. Louder and louder because of who he is and what he has done. That's where he moves us to, that we can say that this morning. And let's worship him as we take communion this morning. Jesus, I'm so thankful for your work on the cross that has left a permanent statement that you love us and that you will forever be good. My pain is not an indication of whether you love me or not. The crosses, the empty tomb, the empty cross, your uh, ascension is what determines whether or not I'm loved, that I'm your child. And this morning, God, I'm just going to surrender to you. I'm going to surrender to you being a good father who's not concerned with my temporal happiness but my whole life and that you're gonna do things, you're gonna do things that are going to be hard, they're gonna be painful, but you're molding me and shaping me into the person that you want. So I'm gonna surrender and say, God, have your way and I'm gonna praise you no matter what. Holy Spirit, give us the grace to do the same, to be surrendered to no matter what you do in our lives we'd always say you're good. Amen.